Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Cross Time podcast. This is our Thursday edition of Week 12, uh, January 5th of 2023. Uh, normally on Wednesdays, I'd be joined by Justin, but regardless, we're here on a Thursday and we have Justin with us. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Carson. Thank you for having me on the podcast again, even though it isn't Wednesday. Um, <laughs> I like to do this, and so I thought since I missed yesterday, I'd try to have a makeup day and put in some time today <laughs> to get the podcast done. Oh, no worries. I, I missed yesterday, too. I had a you know nice little day off, uh, but regardless, we're both back. We're ready to, to get the show going here for our Thursday edition. Uh, let's jump into it. We have... Tuesday and Wednesday's action to summarize. Uh, we looked through, we decided we weren't going to talk about all of the games from those two days, um, kind of similar to what we do on Mondays. We're only going to talk about half, maybe a little less than half of the games from Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, we'll start with Tuesday. We'll talk about all three of these games. Firstly, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks defended home court against the Washington Wizards. They won that game 123 to 113. And Giannis set a new career high with 55 points. Um, throughout this game, a little bit back and forth in the first half, but Milwaukee took over in the second half. Um, for Washington, they were led by Porzingis, 22 points, nine boards, um, and 20 points from Kuzma. Bradley Beal left early with an injury, and we'll have a little more on that when we get to our news. Uh, meanwhile, for the Bucks, of course, Giannis, 55, 10 boards. They were, he was aided by 21 and 12 from Brooke Lopez and 17 and 13 from Bobby Portis off the bench. So that kind of three big rotation working wonders film for Milwaukee. Um, before we jump to our next game, I'll give Justin just a second to maybe kind of give us his thoughts. We've seen in our power rankings uh, the last week, Milwaukee, or last couple weeks, Milwaukee had kind of slipped a little bit. And we've seen in these last couple games, they've maybe regained some ground. Um, Justin, do you have any kind of like comments, thoughts on this? Uh, maybe what Giannis has been able to do these last few games or, you know, what the team needs or has gotten in terms of, you know, kind of making sure they stay at the top of that Eastern Conference group. Thank you, Karsten. Um, In my opinion, Giannis is the best player in the entire world right now. Um, and I think he's kind of getting into that Tim Duncan mindset where he just wants to be consistent, right? He wants to get his 35 points, 15 boards and 10 assists, five blocks and five steals. And he'll be happy mm. with that. J just yeah. that. <laughs> That's yeah. all he needs. Just a simple stat line, really. Anyone. Could. Yeah. <laughs> but he, I actually have been looking through because I like to watch the postgame interviews. And he said something that reminded me of how Tim Duncan used to play basketball. And so I thought it was relevant to the situation. Giannis said, and I was going to attempt to do his accent, but I figure, you know, if we want to keep this podcast family friendly, I better just yeah, my, say it, say it how I would say it. If I was yeah. <laughs> so he said, I want to get in a position that my game is boring. I just do what I do and people don't talk about it because it comes boring. I do it every single night. That's what I do. I want other people to feel like my game is boring but I don't get bored. The greatest players, the best players never get bored. They always go out there and they always give their best in any given night. And I really think that says a lot about his character. He's taken the more humble superstar approach. You know, for this month, he's been averaging 40 points, 10 boards and five assists. 
and he also has had a sore left knee. And so he's been moderately injured just through minor wear and tear of basketball. But he just takes such a, a confident and humble approach. And I really like the mindset that he comes to brings to the game. So I would yeah. be a big fan of him becoming the MVP again, getting more rings. I like Giannis a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point about that quote. I remember seeing the the very shortened version of that quote, but that's a great point, that game becoming boring. And and to an extent, I think we start to get a little bit of that with Giannis or have started that where, you know, oh, it's another 30 points and rebound night, like nothing. This is what he always does. And we kind of forget how how great of a player he is. So, yeah, absolutely. And as he goes, the Bucks are going to go. And so if he, you know, I know that he missed a bit of time early with injury. So maybe that, you know, at some point helps contribute to a slide. But definitely this last week, they're starting to, you know, right the ship in terms of that small little slide. And so I think that's good for Milwaukee going forward. Um, let's jump to that next game. This is kind of a surprising one. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder win big at home against the Boston Celtics, 150 to 117. Uh kind of surprised to see this i mean oklahoma city has not been a completely terrible team they've had some bright spots and some players with you know some promise of course sga prime among them but you know giddy shows potential every now and then they were without shea gilgis alexander in this game and they still score 150 on one of the five best teams in the nba and for the celtics i mean 29 from brown 27 from tatum the supporting cast, maybe not as strong as you would hope, although they did get 17 each from Brogdon and Peyton Pritchard off the bench. But for Oklahoma City, they had seven guys in double figures. Uh, six of those seven had 17 or more points. Um, let's see. Yeah, 25 from Josh Giddy, 23 from Dort, 21 from Jalen Williams. That's L-E-N, not L. <laughs> or Y-L-I-N, because they have two Jalen Williams on the team. But, um, yeah, kind of crazy. Justin, are you surprised to see this type of a game from Oklahoma City or maybe not as surprised as you'd expect? I'm not really surprised, um, and here's why. The reason why I'm not horribly surprised is because the Thunder have got that kind of almost Las Vegas ball club feeling where mm -hmm. every player on the team can give you 30 points and when they can have a game like this where they've got five guys scoring you know 20 points or more right it's it's really hard to stop people balling out that hard uh -huh. and so i think if they can play together as a team they've got that youthful energy um they're fairly exciting to watch mm. and are one of the teams that i like to check the highlights of every single day just to make sure like i didn't miss anything that was awesome uh, even without their best player, they scored 150 points in one game and blew out the best team in the East, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it's definitely crazy. And it, the fan base is, they've got a great fan base there in Oklahoma City. You know, it kind of makes me think of like us here in Utah, of course, you know, limited. We don't have like, you know, an NFL team and an MLB team to cheer. You know, it's just, just the NBA team. I think I'm pretty sure Oklahoma City's that same way. Um, and then, like, um, and even, like, Sacramento to an extent, like, it's the one team they have, smaller market, you know, they kind of run with that. But they also kind of make me think of, like, a like a college town, you know, it has that sort of feel. 
great fan base. And then, yeah, it's a young team and they, for some reason, yeah, even though there's, you know, they're still kind of building, they always, they always seem to be involved in something crazy, whether <laughs> it's like a buzzer beater or, uh, you know, individual stat line or, you know, something to that effect. But, you know, look at this box score. I mean, you have guys like Isaiah Joe and Trey Mann who scored 20 or more. You know, that's not going to happen every night, surely. But, you know, regardless, still a big win for them. Um, I'm curious to see, like, what's next for the Thunder because they've been rebuilding for, like, the last few years, right? And they have SGA who's – you know, by far their best player, Giddy along with him is an interesting player. I can't ever like really pin down <laughs> what he is as a player, but, and then, yeah. yeah, of course they were impacted by Holmgren not being able to play this season, but um, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see what's, what comes next from the Thunder. Um, let's jump right into our, our last game from two from yeah Tuesday. Um, we'll just talk real quick. It was the Utah Jazz hosting Sacramento Kings. They lost at home, one seventeen to one fifteen. Both teams play, played pretty comparably. I mean, Sabonis solid game, good game for Markinen. Uh, Fox had some nice scoring, and then he hits a kind of a running. It was like a mid range floater type shot. I can't remember exactly, but it was kind of a not orthodox shot to to take the lead they throw it up to marketing and he almost hits either a game tying or a game winning shot and then it gets called back because of the the time right yeah so one of my buddies went to this one of my coworkers did and he watched it and he sat in like the 19th row and he -hmm. was very close to where larry caught the ball put it on the ground and then you know splashed the three to win so it was a three yeah, it was it was a three point shot to win, and they initially counted it. The entire crowd went crazy, mm-hmm. and then they reviewed it, and it looks like he gets the ball off, like he gets the shot off, just barely after right, the clock hit zero, like gotcha. less than a tenth of a second. And so they reviewed it, and they reviewed it, and the entire crowd was going crazy, and they had initially kept it, but then the ref called it back, and so the Jazz lost and. There was right. a near riot in Salt Lake about it. Really? But, yeah, it was it was a beautiful <clears throat> game. Really, really good play on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of Sabonis on the Kings, he was balling out. The Aaron Fox was balling out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was awesome. Yeah, and that makes it um, – I think that's five straight games or their fifth straight loss. Um, depending on tonight's action, they may or may not have uh, broken that streak. Uh sort of a cliffhanger for next episode or you can just check the box score and yes they did win tonight but they had you know five five game losing streak so yeah just another heartbreaker for utah kind of a rough end to the last year and beginning of the new year um but you know good win for the kings and the kings keep their momentum kind of going um let's jump to last night's games and we'll talk about the wednesday games these are the ones where we decided to not talk about a good chunk of these because they were, you know, the better team winning, you know, bigger wins, not crazy box scores, uh, or at least not as crazy as some other games. We'll talk about a few, though. We'll talk first uh, Sixers-Pacers, 
This was an overtime game that the the home team, the Philadelphia 76ers, won against the Indiana Pacers, 129 to 126. Um, Justin, probably what I'll do, I'll run through these like in a chunk and then we'll, you know, both go back. And if there's anything we want to talk more at length about, then maybe we'll go into that. How does that sound? That sounds fine to me. Okay, perfect. So uh, for Indiana in this game and their loss, uh, Heald led the way 24 points, uh, 16 and 12 from Halliburton and 19 for Matherin off the bench. They actually had seven guys in double figures, uh, but so did the 76ers. And they had 26 and eight assists from James Harden. Uh, They were without Joel Embiid in this game. They started PJ Tucker at center, which I absolutely despise that move, even though it works. And I, you know, don't know (laughs) basketball or modern basketball well enough to explain how it works. It just bothers me because I'm thinking, you know, throw the ball into Miles Turner, even though he's not an ultra offensive guy, just let him dunk over him every time. But that's my Neanderthal brain working. Um, So the Sixers win that one, big win for them. Uh, The next game from Wednesday that we felt was worth talking about, uh, this was a big one, Bucks versus Raptors. And you look at the the game chart alone. So it was in Toronto and the Bucks have this giant lead late in the fourth quarter and it absolutely just collapses. They go to overtime and Milwaukee still wins. Uh, they won at 104 to 101 in Toronto against the Raptors. Giannis, big triple-double, 30 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. He had 12 turnovers. He had a quadruple double. Um, yeah. Uh, nine, 19 rebounds for Brooke Lopez, 12 rebounds for Bobby Portis. Um, it looks like they've been without Drew Holiday for the last couple of games, so that's not great for them. Um, for the Raptors, they their starters were all in double figures. They were led by Fred Van Vliet, 28 points, 12 assists. Um, looks like it was a thriller, but still kind of a heartbreaker for the home crowd. Um, next, Nets at Bulls. The win streak is finally over. Um, the and Durant had 44, so it looks like you know Durant played a good game, but Chicago led throughout. Uh, yeah, for Brooklyn, Durant 44 points, Kyrie 25, 22 from Seth Curry off the bench, but uh, for the Bulls, 22 each for DeRozan and Williams, 21 for Vucevic with 13 boards. And uh, Bulls just a little bit better team, and the win streak comes to an end. It's still impressive for Brooklyn how they've been able to play the last while. Um, a couple more games, real quick, to talk about. Uh, Detroit Pistons shock the Warriors in Golden State. They win one twenty-two to one nineteen. De- uh, Sadiq Bay hits the game-winning three-pointer buzzer beater. Bogdanovich led the way for them with twenty-nine points. Clay Thompson was solid with thirty points. And uh, 24 from Jordan Poole as well. And then finally, uh, the Lakers defend home court against the Heat. Uh, 112 to 109. The Lakers were without LeBron in this one, but Dennis Schroeder picked up the slack with 32. 21 each for Thomas Bryant and Russell Westbrook. For the Heat, they were led by Butler and Adebayo. 30 for Adebayo, 27 for Butler. Not a wealth of scoring outside of those guys. Okay, so that's five... Five games we talked about on Wednesday. We kind of ran through those. Justin, what are what's the first thing of those games that you'd want to dive deeper into? The first thing that I want to dive deeper into is Milwaukee's win 
against um, Toronto. Yeah, perfect. One of the reasons that I want to focus on this game um, is actually because of how exciting the end was. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it feels like this year, the the end of games in the NBA, like the last two minutes has been nuts. Yeah. Um, so in the regular period of time, right, the Toronto hits a three to tie up the game with three seconds left. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee calls a timeout. They throw a lob to Giannis to dunk to win, and he missed the dunk. And so they go into overtime. They play super big. Fred Van Vliet is torching them. Um, and I guess to cut back a little bit, right, the Bucks were up 90 to 69 with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. Wow. So Toronto came back like 13 points in the last three minutes of the game and had a ton of momentum going into overtime. Mm. Um, but it came down to the final play. Giannis drives really hard. Three people closed out on him, and he fell. And as he was falling, he kicked the ball out to Grayson Allen, hit Grayson Allen right in the chest, and Grayson Allen just shot and splashed it because he's weirdly clutch and weirdly good at basketball. Uh, And it was just so exciting. Like, I've watched the end four or five minutes of that game twice now, and it happened last night. And I just really, really – I love close, tough basketball when it comes down to the wire – comes down to the best players making the best plays. I think it's just really, really good. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the most fun, most fun time to watch. You know, if, if more specifically, it's fun when you're detached. Like, because we're like, like we've talked about before on the show. We're both from Utah. We're big Jazz fans. Um, if you have a game like this, it's Bucks Raptors. You don't really care who wins or who loses. So you're just like, oh, it's back and forth. It's crazy when. If you're a Bucks fan or a Raptors fan, it's like you need like heart medication after the game because it's like it's stressful, <laughs> you know. So, but no, I totally get you. Yeah, really exciting stuff. And yeah, that's crazy. That I remember I did get an ESPN notification about it. Uh, it says the Raptors were down 16 with under two minutes left, but then yeah, they tied the game, go to overtime. Allen. I did get a notification there too. Alan hits the corner three. Um, yeah, I kind of wish I was able to watch it live. I should have, you know, caught the highlights like you did. But yeah, yeah, great, great stuff. Great win. Heartbreaking for Toronto, but um, yeah, Milwaukee keeps things going. Um, as far as what I want, I mean, I think that's probably the one that we'd want to dive a little deeper on. Is there anything else you'd want to talk about from those other games before we uh, move on, or? I don't think there was anything too specific from the other games that I'd like to talk about. Okay. Okay. No worries. So we'll go ahead and move on to our key news. We have a few things here. Um, Nothing too crazy. First of all, uh, for the Celtics, Marcus Smart was fined $35,000 for language towards an official. Um, It's not, it's kind of far from the craziest headline I've ever heard, but uh, (laughs) yeah. I do like Marcus Smart, but he's, you know, a little volatile sometimes. Not quite as much as, you know, some other players. But anyways, uh, for Golden State, not a big news thing, but more just kind of like a potential. Uh, report. Reportedly, they're targeting a January 13th return for Steph Curry back into the lineup. Um, of course, he's missed the last several weeks with a shoulder injury. Um, but it looks like he's 
sort of nearing a return. Good news for, for Golden State and us fans, of course, to see him back on the floor. Um, we have a trade. I think this is our first trade of the season. And <laughs> it's like it's been a long time with that one. <laughs> it's been a long time. And boy, is it a barn burner. Let me tell you about it. So Boston trades forward Noah Vonley and cash considerations to San Antonio in exchange for a future conditional second round pick. And shockwaves <laughs> have been sent throughout the league. This is unbelievable news. Um, and even crazier, the Spurs wave Gorgie Jane and then they wave Noah Vonley. <laughs> okay, let me ask you some. How yes. broke do you have to be <laughs> to buy a player and then just cut him? <laughs> like, like San, this is going to sound like a Charles Barkley rant because he always ranks about stupid things in San Antonio. But yeah. seriously, like <laughs> you, you gave up an entire player and then just got some money from Boston for a yeah. second round pick, which is probably going to be unmonumental but it's just it seems ridiculous to me like your team sucks your arena's super old and not that great and you just take cash essentially you just let boston give you money yeah so they essentially their end of this whole transaction they they give away a pick and two players for money which (laughs) i guess maybe they maybe it's like that nets thing from the kyle corver days and they traded him for a copy machine. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, we just need, you know, we're trying to do some some renovations in the offices and we just need some more money. Can you get rid of some players? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't under, really understand the move. <laughs> if I was if I was Noah Vonley, I would be absolutely livid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because you're coming from a really good team in Boston to one of the worst teams in the league. And you move over, and they're just instantly cut you, and you're just gone. They're like, "Oh, thanks for the fifty thousand dollars or whatever you gave us." And that's it. that's so that's trash. That's just exactly. absolutely terrible. Well, you know, now that you mentioned that, it could be one of those moves. And I've actually seen this, like when I've just browsed through like roster histories. Sometimes, like teams will trade a player, knowing that the other team is going to like release them, and then they'll sign them right back. <laughs> Like I think, hold on now. Now I've got. So, do you think the Celtics are re going to pick him up? I it, it's possible. I mean, he's a free agent. Like you, you could do it. He's not going to be very expensive. Um, let me double check this because now I'm on like a tangent where I'm remembering something. And I got... while you're looking it up, I can give a little bit more context oh, to why this is weird to me. I, I've got it real quick. I'll I'll give it to you. So okay, uh, let's hear. It. The 04 Pistons, the championship winning Pistons, okay? In February, they made a three-team trade, and one of the players they gave away was Lindsey Hunter to the Celtics, okay? And then the Celtics cut him, release him, whatever the specifics are, and exactly a week later, they signed, the Pistons signed Lindsey Hunter as a free agent. And he's a, <laughs> a a key bench player for their championship team. So, like, it, it's happened in the past. I don't know if it's quite that level. I don't, I mean, he's like, you know, probably an 11th, 12th man off the bench, if that, but like, it's possible they could sign him again. I don't know what their plan is, but <laughs> yeah. what were you going to say? In in my profession, which is accounting, there's a subcategory of accounting called forensic accounting, 
And essentially, if you're a forensic accountant, you work for the FBI or the CIA and you track money laundering. Uh-huh. And to me, this kind of almost looks like money laundering, like legitimately, <laughs> like this is like the NBA, like sliding assets and then slowly trying to just pull things out. Yeah. And it it raised a minor red flag as soon as I looked in saw like they <laughs> they traded him and then they released him instantly and just took the cash considerations, I think. If I was so, their accountants, I would be like, what is the freak is going on? And I would so, take it right to Pop and I'd say, Pop, what are you doing? And he would say it's probably something like, this team sucks. They're not going to get anywhere in the playoffs anyways. That's a and perfect say, imp- impersonation of Greg <laughs> yeah. Popovich. So, yeah. So are the San Antonio Spurs committing tax fraud or we're, money laundering? We're I really getting we'll into see. our tinfoil hat territory here <laughs> now with our <laughs> money laundering. Trying, uh, trying to make the podcast more like the Joe Rogan experience. They've got Saul Goodman in their front office. <laughs> <laughs> Better call Saul. <laughs> Better call Saul. <laughs> oh man, I mean, we could we could keep talking about it, but yeah, that's kind of a crazy situation. Maybe we'll see it all work out somehow. The Spurs will make some sort of crazy free agent move. I doubt it. But, um, anyways, another small note from the Spurs. Uh, this is more just in the injury category. Guard Devin Vassell or Vassell. Not sure you pronounce his last name. Well, uh, the Spurs are so bad, you don't have to pronounce his last name anyway. So I guess so. <laughs> Justin, Sorry, Justin, keep going. Bringing the Spurs hate here. <laughs> well, um, I, I love the franchise. I just think they just need a big upgrade. Like yeah, they, they just need Wemby right and now. they just need to trade all the trash and build a team around the Wemby. trash. Wow, the trash. <laughs> they had <laughs> Primo, but then Primo <laughs> yeah, we... know, decided to ruin his own career, and then all of a sudden San Antonio is the worst team in the league again. It just makes me yeah. sad. They are – they're not great. We'll get, we'll give them that. Well, and this is certainly going to hurt, you know. Uh, v- Vassal out indefinitely with a left knee injury uh, reportedly will require surgery. I think the specifics uh, arthroscopic – procedure of some kind so so he'll be out for quite some time uh and then for the wizards not as bad uh bradley beal will be out at least one week with a hamstring strain uh so for both of those guys uh wishing the best in their recovery um especially devin vassal after he had to be subjected to that verbal uh hurt from justin (laughs) and his (laughs) franchise oh he'll be fine he'll be fine (laughs) Uh, lastly, we have our first returns on all-star voting, uh, and LeBron James, Kevin Durant lead their respective conferences in early returns. Um, I think they lead it overall. And of course, for the the front court and then the back court, I believe Curry and Kyrie Irving lead it in their conferences. So Nets doing well with all-star votes. I did see that, uh, Derek Rose once again is in like the top 10 in guards voting. And it's like, I, I get it. I like Derek Rose as much as the next guy, you know, looking at the highlights from when he was an MVP. That was, that's fun. But I mean, come on, he's, what is he averaging this year? <laughs> 10 points. I mean, not, not great. It, it gets a little old when they're continually, at least it's not as bad as the whole Zaza Pachulia thing. But don't don't get me on that one because that that's a whole other tangent, you know, of of rant that I could go on. But 
I like that Zaza Pachulia came in like fourth in all-star voting or something oh, ridiculous, geez. and they just said, absolutely not. This yeah. guy's terrible. He sucks at dancing. He's not a good NBA it player. Sucks at <laughs> we don't care what the fans have to say. We're just well. Not that's doing it. that's why the fans only have a certain percentage of of the vote <laughs> is because maybe you have a whole home country that suddenly tries to get you voted in the All Star game, <laughs> even though you are like the human personification of Shrek. But that's that's my own rant. All right. <laughs> yeah. I the thing about that is too is I remember being in school and voting for Zaza Pachulia every single morning. You voted? Just, oh my god. Yes, gosh. every every single morning I voted just, for Zaza Pachulia just to fuel the fire. And then the memes. they completely disrespected us by saying, oh, your votes don't actually matter because we can't have bad players in the All-Star game. Well, Justin, thank thank goodness that somebody stood up for what was right because I can't believe can't believe he did that. Yeah, that was I'm pretty sure of his four million votes or whatever, I was probably at least two and a half million of them by myself. So, oh my, well, well, uh, <laughs> not sure how we're going to go on after this revelation. <laughs> um, no, we're fine. All right, so that takes us through our our news, our summaries. Let's go on to what we do, or what the plan is for our Thursday shows. And I've only done it once before, and now we're at week twelve. I've mentioned on one of the other podcasts, I might do some bonus episodes in the future to get caught up on this idea of one episode a week, we focus on a specific franchise and talk about a few different things involving that franchise. Um, Excuse me, I feel like a a burp coming on and then it didn't happen. Um, The first thing is we talk about that franchise in the last year, the last several years, the direction, how they're doing, where they're going, that kind of a thing. Then we talk about a historic team from that franchise's history, and then we talk about a legend. But in this case, since there's two of us, we're going to each talk about a legend um, just real quick. So uh, this week, since we the only other one we've done was the 76ers, we're doing alphabetical by uh, team moniker. This week, we're doing the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, we don't have a ton of notes on this. I think we'll just kind of talk in general what the Bucks have been able to do in the last uh, you know, five-ish years, 10-ish years. And you have to say they've been, you know, they've made all the right kind of moves, right? Oh, yeah. I think the Bucks over the last, you know, five to 10 years, I think are one of the biggest gold stars in the NBA. Hmm. They went from a middle-of-the-pack garbage-time team that no one cared about and they were a small market to owning the best player in the world and winning a championship and having a two-time MVP. They've, they've kept the core of their best players together and always have tried to improve without getting rid of their pillars, which mm. I really like. Yeah. They kind of do it. They're, they've been a little bit of an outlier in the sense that you look at what a lot of the, the big market or more competitive teams have done with, you know, the Warriors or the the Nets, the Lakers, a lot of these teams where they make big, you know, free agency moves, big trades, a lot of those things. And Milwaukee hasn't had to do as much of that. I mean, they draft Giannis. You got to consider him kind of partially just lucky for that. No one knew that Giannis was going to become what he became, right? But they draft Giannis, but then the 
you know, Middleton was a trade acquisition from Detroit when he was, you know, just like a bench guy and he's developed into an all-star. And then Drew Holiday was a proven commodity, but not a, you know, when that trade happened, it was, oh, that's a nice move, but no one made too much of it. And then they signed Brooke Lopez and yeah, they just, you know, build a solid team and they're not interested in always being the winners of the, you know, mythical off season championship in terms of this team is going to be so good next year. You know, yeah, they're just building it the right way. You look at their history from the 2017 season to the 2022 season, those last six full seasons. Each year they went lot. They went to the, the first round, first round again, conference finals, conference semis, and then they won the championship in 21 conference semis in 22. So like, they they built gradually into a, a contender. They've won the championship, and this year again they're right back in that contending mix. So they've been they've been stellar, to say the least. Well, it's a slow burn, baby. It's the best way to cook a crab is to put it in a pot with like lukewarm water mm. and just slowly raise the temperature until it bakes. And I think that's what the the Bucks have done metaphorically is they've they started with some lukewarm water and they've just been slowly turning up the heat. Mm. And I think they're, if not, they're, they're a top five team in the league and hopefully will be for a long time because they're fun to watch. Absolutely. Well, and especially, you know, a franchise that has generally tended to be better more often than not. I mean, their all time winning percentage is five to four. So they tend to win more often than they don't. And, you know, they started, you know, expansion year, not great, but then they add Kareem, maybe the greatest draft pick ever, first overall, and they, you know, win a championship with him. Their third year in existence, they win the championship and are maybe one of the best teams in NBA history. You know, they lose Kareem, they struggle for a bit, and then they have that run in the 80s, and we'll talk a little bit about it in a second. They have a run in the 80s, it's great. In the 90s, a lot of the 90s, they were kind of bad early 2000s they were good and then from let's see like oh oh five to 2014 they were just pretty bad i mean they would like slip into the playoffs so they're never bad enough to get a ultra high pick but they would they were never good enough to like really make milwaukee proud of them and they were wearing the purple uniforms and it was all just <laughs> off but now oh, they've man. they've got great team and they've got great uniforms so that's even better yeah. but i remember being stoked for their team in probably about 2013 when their best player was oj mayo mm-hmm. <laughs> and Giannis was like a skinny nothing who no one had heard of before and jabari yeah. parker had just been drafted and they were excited to use jabari parker and yeah then all of a sudden he gets hurt oj mayo does drugs and the skinny kid from greece <laughs> comes out of nowhere and becomes the best player in the world. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the rise too. Like, you know, knowing who Giannis was and little by little, it's like, okay, he's, you know, yeah. A kid for the bucks who's long and he makes a cool dunk every once in a while. And then it was always, you know, starting for him to then, Oh, he's, he's really good. And he's kind of like a weird positional fit. And then as soon as they had Budenholzer, and they moved him to power forward, like everything locked in. And then he went from 
this really interesting player to now, okay, he's one of the best in the league. And it's just been up and up from there, you know. Remember that year that – sorry, I was just going to say, do you remember that year that Jason Kidd said he was going to start at point guard? Yeah, back in like 2015 or 16 or something. Yeah, that was wild. What were you going to say? Oh, I I have a very mildly controversial opinion about Giannis. I think Giannis could probably be in a top 10 GOAT pyramid ever, right, of – of all the players to have ever played the game, I think he could be in the top 10 to have ever done it, which that might be kind of a hot take. And especially because he's not super far into his career, he's almost 10 years in, I guess, but he's got a championship. He's got MVPs. He's been the the face of a franchise for a decade. You know, he's, he's just been so fun to watch. He puts up unreal numbers. Um, yeah, I think he could go down in history as one of the best, or yeah, it, one of, if not the best, Buck to ever do it. And then one of, if not, you know, top 10 players ever. Yeah. I don't think that that's as outlandish to say as maybe you think it is. I would honestly, I think with the current trajectory he has, and that's probably what you're saying, right? The way his career has gone up to this point and yeah. like his trajectory. He has that ability to finish his career at that point. And I think that's absolutely right. I think at the least he should finish his career as a top five power forward in NBA history. I don't think that's too crazy to say, right? Like yeah. Said, well, like multi- if he can get that MVPs boring. And, yeah. If, if he can become boring like Tim Duncan, right? And just do the same thing every night. Hit those stupid bank shots, hit layups, get dunked on. That was Tim Duncan's thing, right? And go down in history as the greatest power forward to have ever touched a basketball. I think that's pretty awesome. I think Giannis could be in the same boat. Score 35, get 10 boards, 10 assists, don't get dunked on, and yam on a couple of dudes every night. I think it's just, yeah, he's just electrifying, and I I really like to watch him. He's already got to be the greatest power forward of the last decade. I mean – better than Anthony Davis or anyone else that you can think of. His resume is pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year, finals MVP, all-star MVP, six-time all-star, six-time all-NBA, five-time all-defensive. And you can put that up against a lot of guys, and it looks pretty impressive. He's not too far off from – I don't know if I can quite go that far – I think I should. Within the next few years, he's going to be kind of rivaling rivaling Kevin Garnett. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. I like I said, I think I think he could become maybe the second greatest power forward ever after Tim Duncan. Yeah. Or maybe the Bucks will just go on a tear and he'll accrue more accolades than you know, the big fundamental and the big ticket and the mailman and <laughs> Dirk Nowitzki yeah. yeah I just I think he could absolutely put his name up there in the stars and go down in history as one of the best to ever do it absolutely yeah I would agree with that um okay so the next thing we like to do on this franchise focus portion is highlight a team a specific season and team from that franchise's history um that's notable worth talking about maybe doesn't get the recognition it should 
And I originally wanted to focus on the 85 bucks, but then I thought it'd be more interesting to talk about the 81 bucks. Cause I think 85 maybe gets a little more recognition for what that team did. Um, but you look at the 1980, 1981 Milwaukee Bucks, they went 60 and 22. Uh, they were first in the central division. They might've even been first in the East. No, third in the East, just behind the Celtics and the Sixers. Um, excuse me, but they were in that top, you know, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Their coach and executive was Don Nelson. Uh, and they lost in the semifinals, which in that era was the, their first round of the playoffs. The conference semifinals, three to four versus the Sixers. So they lost in seven games uh, right at the end. And you look at the roster, these are some of the names you're talking about. They were led by Marcus Johnson, 20 points, seven boards, four and a half assists, 1.5 steals. Um, Bob Lanier was a veteran starting at center former all-star he was still a solid 14.6 boards in 26 minutes a game uh Moncrief was an up-and-coming guard 14 points five boards three assists Junior Bridgman and Quinn Buckner helped kind of round out the the backcourt there uh and then off the bench you had Brian Winters towards the end of his career uh Mickey Johnson Harvey Catchings Pat Cummings Len Elmore and Mike Evans were the other two names on that team and when i first mentioned this team to to justin he said he wasn't ultra familiar with a lot of these players um what do you know justin about some of these guys um i know that bob lanier is one of the the most stoic big men to ever play the game Um, as far as classic basketball goes this team is really really solid and has a very um a classic style for the lineup, right? Mm-hmm. Your guards are your short guys. They're not shooting a lot of threes. Mm-hmm. Um, your your big men are generally who are scoring and are the most efficient. Sidney Moncrief, who I'll highlight in a little bit, was mm-hmm. just a defensive monster and I think very underrated as a player. Um, Mickey Johnson, he could score sometimes. He would have crazy games. He was kind of streaky. Uh. But other than that, I'm not super familiar with this season or this team. Um, I have that very controversial opinion that basketball was started to get good in 1985. Uh-huh. So anything before this seems like it's it's kind of that old-fashioned dribble with one hand on your hip type of ball. Yeah. And so I, I really enjoy to watch it. But I think it's basketball was still kind of coming into its own at this time, right? The best three-point shooter on their team um, that took more than one three in the season was Sidney Moncrief, who shot 22% from three. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's – yeah, it's just the game has changed so much since this time. It's it's a lot interesting. I guess Bob Lanier shot 100% from three that season. <laughs> he, he did. But he, but he hit one three, and he, he, t- he attempted one three. So maybe they yeah. should have used analytics and rode that hot hand. Yeah. Although you look at Brian Winters, he was pretty okay, especially for the time. I mean, he went 18 of 51 from three for the season, <laughs> 35%. Like that's, that's not bad. He shot maybe one, three a game and maybe makes it, maybe he doesn't, but. <laughs> I, yeah. I, yeah. That's, 
<laughs> it's definitely a different game that's for sure and as far as talent you know there's not even a conversation comparing talent levels of current teams to what this team is dealing with it's just a whole different game but you know you still have to respect you know the growth of the game and what what it was at the time and like you're saying it's it's when basketball's starting to kind of you know every year it's getting better and better I mean, this was only, I believe, the second season that the three-point line was even a thing in the NBA. So certainly that's a part of it, you know. But, um, yeah, just kind of an interesting team. Uh, I was reading into it a little bit. Um, and Don Nelson had a quote specifically about Bob Lanier and his importance to the team. Uh, his quote, I guess I underestimated the value of having an old veteran on the team. I didn't realize that until Bob got here. Um, so, you know, they're a building team and Don Nelson was a pretty young coach. I think he had, he was only a few years removed from his own playing career. Uh, and maybe he was still learning that he doesn't know everything and had to like, you know, figure out some of those things about coaching that other coaches, you know, understood. Um But let's see, while the Bucks may have been recognized, I'm reading directly from, uh, this is an article on fan sided behind the buck pass. Um, but anyways, it says, let's see. Um, while the bucks may have been recognized as a dominant collective as they continued their ascent through the season, it was Johnson. That's Marcus Johnson who garnered the most attention for being the bucks leading force at the time. Uh, I think I saw on the Wikipedia page that he was fifth or sixth in MVP voting that season. Um, and he's one of those guys, if you listen to like open court and you have like Mikhail and uh, Dominique Wilkins and some of those guys from, you know, the 80s general, you know, decade, and they're talking about underrated guys. That's a name that always seems to come up is Marcus Johnson. Um, you know, forward out of UCLA, the numbers don't always look that huge. His first several years, though, are pretty impressive. I mean, his first three years, 22 points, eight boards, three assists, you know, and he was just a very productive player. Um, otherwise, these are kind of the names that you see, like a lot of these in the late 70s and throughout the 80s were consistent guys on Bucks teams that were always competitive, especially with Don Nelson as the coach and were a top team in the East, but never did as well as the Sixers or the Celtics, meaning getting to the finals, right? So... Anyways, just thought it would be worth kind of noting that specific team. They were a really great team. Didn't quite get it done in the playoffs because they had some even better teams to face off against. Um, but, yeah, I'm just trying to see real quick. Justin, do you have any kind of last comments on this before I, you know, shift? I'm trying to see if there's anything else worth noting from from this team. Um, yeah, I think – it looks like to me that they were second of the 23 teams in the league in defensive rating or, or third in defensive rating and second in offensive rating. So they were, they were ranked second by their net rating in the entire NBA. Um, and they just seemed like they were really just a good, just a good team in a good team dominated era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it looks like, one of the key things in the playoffs that might have hampered this team was 
um, Marcus Johnson getting injured in their playoff series. Um, looks like it was a recurrence of back spasms in games four and five. So that probably had an impact. Maybe there's, you know, question marks there of if he was healthy, maybe they have enough to to beat Philly and go to a conference finals. Who knows? But I mean, there's hundreds of those what if scenarios you can look at in NBA history, but um, yeah. that Philly team was good too, right? That's the, the Dr. J led. Oh, 76ers yeah, and so they they had a baller to lead the team a superstar before that was really a thing mm-hmm. yeah well and that's maybe the difference maker right I mean you look at the Bucks like the the kind of final statement we're coming up with for this team is oh just a really very solid team but they aren't they they don't have a Dr. J right and as good as Marcus Johnson was and as much as his peers appreciated his play you know Sad as it is to say, he just wasn't quite as good as a a Dr. J or even a first or second year Larry Bird or, you know, Robert Parrish at center. Like he was like the Bucks, they as a team with their star power, their coaching, you know, it was just like just barely off from being, you know, true championship caliber, right? But yeah, I mean the Sixers in this time they lose to a Sixer squad that went to the the conference finals and lost to Boston, who then went on to win the championship. So like, you know, it was just a tough top tier of that Eastern Conference. But but yeah, that Milwaukee team a great group nonetheless, and their franchise history as a whole has had a lot of great teams and great you know really underrated players, especially being in that small market. Um, and me and Justin, Justin and I both have a, a couple of players or a player each to outline from their history that we feel is worth talking about. Uh, we mentioned it very briefly with the 81 bucks, but Justin, go ahead and tell, tell us about your player that you've decided to talk about. All right. My player and who I told you I'd expand about in a few minutes was Sidney Moncrief. Mm. Um, Sidney Moncrief was kind of the face of the Milwaukee Bucks in those early to late 80s. Um, he had a fairly long career, and he was a defensive beast. Mm-hmm. Um, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in the year 2019. Um, he had a whole bunch of accolades. He was an all-rookie first team. He was a defensive player of the year twice in 1983 and 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, he won the NBA Sportsmanship Award in 1989, which I think is kind of an underrated award because it means, right, the the league likes you and you're a nice guy. Yeah. Um, he made a couple of all-star teams. He made all-NBA second team multiple times. He made the all-NBA third team. Um, and he was number four for his whole career. And they actually retired his jersey in 1990. And so I think I think he was one of the staples of classic basketball, playing hard-nosed defense, trying to score, you know, layups and mid-range jumpers. And he ended up coaching the Mavericks for a little while. And then he was the head coach of the Bucks actually for a while. Hmm. But yeah, he was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I think before that time I hadn't even really heard of him. So yeah, he always an underrated guy, you know. And like you said, the face of that Milwaukee team in those those eighties years where they were always contending and they were, you know, one of the top Eastern Conference teams. Um, 
Yeah, defensively very good. I mean, averaged, you know, in when he was at his best, about a steal and a half per game. He he's kind of in that category of like a like a Joe Dumars in the sense that their statistical output isn't always the most stunning, but if you ask anyone who played against them, they'll say, you know, yeah, Sidney Moncrief was was a guy that you had to worry about as far as trying to score against him. Or even though he wasn't, you know, great shooter or ultra offensive guy, I think he was, you know, he was just such a solid pro. And uh yeah, great, great guy to talk about. Um Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Uh, he apparently also was a two time all-american in college and he played all four years at the university of arkansas that is definitely worth noting he he made the final four twice but never could get it done Mm. Um, yeah and he's known as one of the best defenders that the league has ever seen as far as guards go you know it's an interesting note about arkansas Uh, that's a college that's not typically thought of as a nba you know like a lot of NBA players coming from that school, they've had their fair share. They've had Moncrief, of course, but they've also had Joe Johnson, Alvin Robertson, uh, Bobby Portis in recent years, uh, Corliss Williamson, you know, so like they've had some, they've had some guys make that next step, but um, you'd have to say he's the best player in their history, right? That school's history, Sidney Moncrief, uh, or the player that has come from that school, the best NBA player, but. Yeah, he probably still holds some records there, I guess, if you want to look deep into the college sports books, I bet. Yeah. At least something he's got to have, right? Oh, I, I would think. Well, and he was born and raised in Arkansas, so that's pretty cool to see he's able to go to Arkansas, have a great collegiate career, and then make that next step and be a, a legend of you know, the NBA and a franchise. You know, If you look at the Milwaukee Bucks franchise records, he's – third all-time in win shares was second for a long time until Giannis just barely passed him I would imagine last season or this season um only Kareem is above Giannis in terms of win shares so to be with those three guys as far as win shares for a franchise that has won more than it's lost that's pretty impressive you know and we kind of sleep on the Bucks being a, a competitive franchise but that's still you know worth noting but yeah great great name to talk about always you know deserves his due the player i've decided to focus on i wouldn't necessarily call him a franchise legend and so maybe i'm jumping from form a little bit here but um he was a solid player and i think it's an interesting you know you could call him a footnote in the franchise's history but regardless the player i'm talking about is flynn robinson uh he was a guard kind of a combo guard six one uh played in the late 60s through the early to mid 70s um and he played for a a myriad of teams he played for cincinnati chicago milwaukee was his third stop and his one full season in milwaukee was his one season that he was a nba all-star Next year, he went back to Cincinnati. Then he went to the Lakers and was the reserve, one of the reserve guards on that great championship team with Wilt Chamberlain and Jerry West. And then the next year, he was with the Lakers and Baltimore before playing his last season in the ABA 
with the San Diego Conquistadors, one of the all-time great <laughs> names. <laughs> and um, but yeah, just kind of interesting. No, I mean, a shorter career than maybe you'd expect, but his, he, so he plays more than half a season in 69 with the Bucks, um, and then a full season. And over that time, he averaged 21 points a game, five assists, three rebounds, uh, 87% from the free throw line, 45% from the floor. For his time, those are really great averages. And I think what's more important is he was kind of the first real, like, running mate for Kareem in his career with Milwaukee. Um, and you look at this, uh, let's see, I have another, this is an article actually from the Bucks own website. Um, but, uh, it talks about he is responsible for help helping to put Milwaukee back on the map, uh, for professional basketball. He joined the backcourt with John McLaughlin. He had previously been a backcourt mate of his in, uh, Cincinnati coming off the bench, but then he came to Milwaukee, they became the starters, and they're a great, let's see, you know, great tandem. Robinson in particular got the nickname The Electric Eye from the Bucks radio announcer, uh, Eddie Duquette, because of his uncanny marksmanship. That's got to be one of the sickest names in NBA history, right? The Electric, the electric eye. eye. Holy crap, I've never even heard of that before. It's amazing. Um, let's see trying to read through this but yeah so kareem's first season in the nba and with milwaukee was that one full season that flynn robinson had and so he was the the oscar robertson before oscar robertson got there and he was a solid player you know again kind of bounced around but i thought he was worth noting i mean an all-star an nba champion had a pretty good career you know and if you look at his pictures when he was at the lakers he had a pretty sick fro so I think that's worth noting as well. But um, one one thing that I found out because I like to find out where players played in college. He actually played for the University of Wyoming. Oh yeah, I did see that in one of these pictures. Yeah, Wyoming. Yeah, he's from Definitely. Kansas. Yeah, he's from Kansas City, Missouri, and he was not extremely known, you know, in his high school ball days. But mm. he was a standout player, at Wyoming. And he was named to the WAC first team twice. He was an All-American. Well, there you go. Yeah, you there's know, a little uh, bit more about Flynn Robinson. Yeah. Do, do you know who else played for University of Wyoming? I honestly have no idea. <laughs> Larry Nance Jr. Oh, for real? Yeah. Because well, I, I clicked Wyoming to see if I like what other players were notable. And then that... <laughs> I saw that, but then I remembered that I had had seen that, like when he first got drafted. Oh, Theo Ratliff played at Wyoming. Oh, I didn't know that. You've heard of Theo Ratliff, right? No, <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> he was a three-time NBA block champion, and he was the the starting center for the Sixers. And then they traded him mid-season for Matumbo, and that was the year they went to the finals. So they That's... like <laughs> they traded <laughs> defensive center for defensive center, and I don't really understand. I think he might have had an injury, and that's why they made the move. But <laughs> and that's um, why they traded him. Yeah, exactly. But okay, so I think that 
kind of wraps things up as far as our, our franchise focus for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Milwaukee fans, hopefully we've, you know, done justice to the franchise's history and their current direction, what they're, they're up to. Um, real quick for our end of our show, we have a couple things. We got to make our predictions. We haven't done this for a couple weeks. And then we'll have our the stand history closing fact. Um, Justin, do you want me to go first on the prediction, or do you want to go ahead? I'll go first. I got okay. this. Okay. All right, ready? I'm going to highlight mine. Here's my bold prediction. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers will come out as the top of the Eastern Conference by the end of the season. Okay. So kind of a – it's not your boiling hot take, but it's like, you know – um, how would you say it? It's like mid mid level on the burner, like yeah, like a seven. It's like a, a seven. A, yeah, yeah. I just I think they've been on a tear lately. My predictions always seem like they don't end up holding up, but I try to come for something that's a little bit unique. And so I think gotcha. they could they could come out with the best record in the Eastern Conference by the end of the season. And gotcha. yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be Cavs fans after this year. Well, I mean, you look at the the power rankings, they've been fairly consistent. I mean, because I – let's see. Beginning of the season, we had them ranked a little bit more towards the middle of the pack, and then they climbed up after a hot start. And then otherwise, they've been consistently staying at that top, you know, five or ten group. So they've been consistent. And the Celtics and Bucks in recent weeks have been less consistent than they were at the beginning of the year. So I think you've definitely got uh, – that's not a bad prediction. I like that. I think it go, could go either way, but I think you definitely ha- – you're onto something there. I like that one. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Justin, if you'll scroll up a little bit, we have our predictions for our audience. We have our predictions on this Google Doc. Mine is a little bit higher up. It's on, like, the the daily schedule. If you see that, uh, let's see up where my cursor is. Oh yeah. Do you want me to put mine up there or is yours up there? I mine's up here too, but okay. I will go ahead and unveil my weekly prediction. So my prediction is Deandre Ayton will demand a trade before the end of the season. Ooh. And I, even with all that money, they just paid him. Well, they begrudgingly paid him. That's the problem. I mean, you remember that whole offseason thing? Like, he's a restricted free agent, and they just don't give him a contract forever. And then finally the Pacers are like, hey, we we want to take a stab at that. And so they offer him, and then immediately the Suns match it. So it's like, okay, that's the minimum we have to pay because the team offered him. So now we've locked him in. It's like they don't want to pay him a max amount. They didn't give him an extension. You know, they, they just don't really want to value him for his potential. They're valuing him more for what he's done production-wise. And at this point, I understand that. I mean, he's, what, fourth or fifth season in. He's been really good at moments, but then just kind of really solid at others. And so I get it, but on his end, I'd be frustrated. You know, like, hey, I was a number one pick, and then since then, you've undervalued me. You know, I've there's been moments here and there where you pull me out of the rotation and, and do all these things. So 
and especially with the Suns sliding, I think that could maybe be a catalyst. Maybe he's like, okay, now the team is struggling and we have injuries. I want out. So that's my prediction. But I don't know if that's totally like wild. It's very bold. I like it a lot. I don't think the Suns are going to just let him go. But maybe he'll try to fight his way out. Yeah, maybe well, that's up... that's why the prediction is just that he'll want to trade, not that he'll get traded. Because I don't yeah. see why they would trade him. But yeah, well, I think right. I think I think I've said this before on our podcast, but I think the Phoenix Suns are one of the more mentally weak teams in the league. Uh, right? We've seen Chris Paul have come apart in the playoffs. We've seen Devin Booker have come apart in the playoffs. We've seen DeAndre Ayton kind of throw a hissy fit about not getting paid enough money. And then they paid him like $110 million over the next three years. Uh, I don't, I don't think any teams are going to want to pick up a contract like that. Like that's a, it's essentially the same thing with Rudy Gobert, right? He had the five year, $270 million supermax contract. And they, he wanted to leave, but the jazz wouldn't let him go because you can't get the same value that you could. And, I think, yeah, DeAndre Ayton is kind of in a similar predicament where yeah. he thinks he's worth money, he thinks he's incredible, but 18 points and six boards is not like a super max deal kind of a player in my book. And maybe yeah. he'll go somewhere, you know, like Indiana, where he'll be a monster and he'll have kind of a Kevin Love season where he looks like he's one of the best to ever do it. Um, or maybe he'll just end up being, you know, a mid-card player for the rest of his life. Yeah. So that 18 and six, is that what he's averaging this season? Or I don't, I, I kind of just made that up. Let me okay. look him up real quick. I was going to say, cause like, I didn't think it was quite, but he, I, I, I would think it's like probably like 19 and eight. Like pro- you're not probably far off. Oh no. 16.3 points and 10 boards in his 236 regular season games. That's he's still, his, yeah. 16 and 10 is not awesome. Like I wouldn't, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to justify paying. It's good. Like, yeah. it's, it's productive. But yeah, it's but not like Clint like... Capella is getting the same thing. No one yeah. talks about Clint Capella. Good point. So, anyways, yeah, so that's that's my prediction. Um, okay, was there anything else we wanted to talk about with that before we do our final closing factor? I think that's everything for me for this episode, pretty much. Yeah, perfect. Um, so this day in history, um, January 5th, we're going back to 1988. Um, if you know me, my favorite players, I kind of had to outline this one. And this is more in memoriam. Uh, Hall of Famer Pete Maravich passed away at the age of 40 after suffering a heart attack while playing in a pickup game in California. Um, if you've read his biography, I believe this was like the first time he had played basketball in several years. He had, after he retired, he had had kind of a more hate than love relationship with the game. Um, But in those last year or two, the last year or two before he passed away, he had kind of made peace with some things and was enjoying life. He said, you know, hey, why not? I'll go play. He had fun playing. And then in the middle of that game, yeah, he, he collapsed to the floor. He passed away that same day. And, yeah, just kind of sad, you know, He's my favorite player of all time. So I felt like, you know, should outline that, you know, pay respect to him and what a great player he was and kind of how, how sad of a, and even more 
sad is the fact when he was in his playing days, he had made a comment in an interview, something along the lines of, I don't want to, you know, play for 10 years and then die at 40. And that's like exactly what he did. It was just kind of a bizarre coincidence, surely. But yeah, just anyway, I thought I would make a note of that. But not sure if Justin has anything he wants to add to to Pete oh. Maravich. But yeah, I I I really like Pistol Pete too. Right, he's he was always a relatable figure for me. It's just a a short white guy that works super hard and yeah. is probably the greatest college basketball player to ever play. And so I, yeah, I'm a big fan of Pistol Pete and it's pretty tragic that he passed away, you know, however many years ago it's been. Yeah. When the NBA had their ceremony at the 97 All-Star Game, it was the 50th anniversary of the league and they named the 50 greatest NBA players. Everyone is there. Well, everyone was alive and all but three players were there. Um Jerry West wasn't able to be there because of like a medical procedure. I think Shaq couldn't be there because I think of an, in, an injury or something like that. And then pistol Pete was the only one who was, who had passed away. And that was the first 50 years of NBA history. And he was the only one of those 50 greatest players who had passed away. And so it was just kind of sad. And even to this day, there's not a lot of the greatest players that have passed away up to this point. I mean, we have, you know, Pete Maravich, Wilt, Kobe, of course, and recently Bill Russell. But otherwise, most of them are still alive. And so it's kind of sad. And we're getting more and more to that point where a lot of these legends are going to start to, you know, we're going to lose them to time. So anyways. Would you like me to kind of wrap things up here while we're on a little bit more of a sad note? Go for it. I was just going to say, we're ending kind of sad. Do you have something to lift our, lift our spirits here? No. Well, we just want to thank our listeners for tuning in to our Crossover Across Time podcast. It's a lot of fun making this, and we hope you enjoyed the episode and that you'll listen to us again, join us again for more discussions about the world of professional basketball. Um, whether it's historic basketball or current, we just love the game, and we're grateful for your willingness to listen to us talk and have a little bit of fun. Um, remember to try to follow us on social media. We'd be extremely grateful for that. And until next time, Karsten, you want to take it away for the, the closing statement? Uh, ditto. <laughs> ditto. <laughs> All right, let's, let's call it. That's the game, folks. All right. Okay, we'll be back soon.